It's Marnie here, and today I'm yarning with Professor Grace Sara and Associate Professor Bronwyn Ewing, who co-authored the chapter, Culturally Responsive Pedagogies and Perspectives in Mathematics. Welcome and thank you for sharing your time and knowledge with us for this podcast series. Can you please introduce yourself to the audience, who you are, who's your mob, and where you're from? Starting with you, Professor Sara. Um, thanks, Marnie. So, um, I'm of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander heritage. Um, my Aboriginal heritage is from my mum's side, so from the Virigaba Nation. And on my dad's side, the Torres Strait Islander heritage is uh, Moore Island and Stephen and the Murray Island. So on my dad's side, it's from the Eastern Island. Um, my background is in teaching. I'm primary school trained um, and academic at the Queensland University of Technology and the Education Faculty. I've got almost 30 years of uh, teaching and research experience and my research looks at uh, Indigenous knowledges in, and frameworks and contests assumptions and stereotypes that contribute to the, the lack of success for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. For this particular chapter that uh, my colleague Brian and I have written, it's looking at embedding Indigenous perspectives uh, in mathematics, but it's part of a around a project that we've been working with juvenile justice and, and detention centers as well. Yeah, so thanks. Thank you so much, Grace. Associate Professor Ewan. Thank you, Marnie, for this opportunity. So I am a non-Indigenous educator um, here at the Queensland University of Technology. My family primarily stems from Sydney and a little bit from Melbourne and before that, England and Ireland. So they came out here as convicts. I am primary trained. I did all my training in New South Wales and I'm currently and have been for some time now a mathematics educator here at Queensland University of Technology. It was not that long ago that I actually stepped outside of the classroom in terms of my teaching practice. So that means that for the last 20 years um, I've been developing my research and that research has taken me to rural and remote regions across Australia and more specifically in Queensland. Now as part of that work, what I've done is focused very much on that whole idea of equity and mathematics because my my work, my early work, has told me that the groups that are largely filtered out from mathematics classrooms are those students who are from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander background, EALD students, students with intellectual disability, students with learning difficulties. And so in a sense, mathematics has become a social filter. And it's that social filter that I am responding to through my research work that I conduct with my colleague here, Professor Grace Zara. So we focus, or I focus very much on equity and making sure that the, the teaching and learning of mathematics that occurs inside and outside the mathematics classroom is culturally responsive, that it is appropriate for the young people and the communities and the teachers and the parents Thank you, Bronwyn. And in your chapter, you you both explored culturally responsive pedagogies in depth. It's a very rich chapter with lots of excellent practical resources and examples for teachers. Can you please both share with us what some of the main messages are that you wanted readers to take from your chapter? So it's great to hear about um, money. So in terms of when we looked at cultural responsive pedagogy. Um, we didn't look at cultural responsive pedagogies in isolation, but we looked at cultural responsive pedagogies and how that um, caters for ensuring that uh, Indigenous ways of doing things and knowledges are incorporated into curriculum. So although our chapter was on 
mathematics, it's looking at cultural responsive pedagogy across all curriculum areas. And not only curriculum areas, but in terms of how schools engage um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Island people as well. So in terms of um, the pedagogies and uh, how teachers work with Indigenous students that are, are sitting in front of them, it's important that they consider the social and cultural knowledge of the students and contextualising this knowledge and lived experiences in terms of uh, the mathematics that uh, concept that we're trying to teach in this area. I think that what you've done is actually given a really good description and um, in the context of this podcast. And one of the things that I've come to learn from our work is very much around what Lewis Mole called that tons of knowledge. And so we all have tons of knowledge and tiled, couched into those funds of knowledge are those ways of doing things. And I think that one of the big things that's really important with those ways of doing things is the curriculum. Now, so I want to put forward this idea um, and that it's, it's really started to come through in, in our work and that is that there's been a curriculum for thousands of years, long before we actually had mathematical signs, the formal mathematical signs and symbols. People operated from day to day, went about their business or their ways of doing things. But they didn't have a document where they sit down and write, you know, pen and paper or indeed even with the, you know, a, a stick in the sand and use actual mathematical symbols. So the point I'm making is this, the curriculum in actual fact is outside of the classroom. It's in the context. And so what we're doing is actually taking formal national curriculum and making it merge with the curriculum, the, uh, the ways of knowing, the funds of knowledge that these students have and bring to school or indeed to any other learning context rather than the other way around. Here's the math and we're going to make you fit it. And it's a really important point. We know that we have to follow the national curriculum here, but I think that what we also need to be doing when we're talking about this cultural and responsive pedagogy is thinking about we can weave the math through here. And Grace and I have been doing that in our research work and I think we talk about that in the chapter as well. So we can weave that in, but we're not overlaying first the mathematics and then picking out, cherry picking the bits where we think the students' fund of knowledge fit. I think we you know, looking at it the other way around. Mm. Okay. I think that's an inherently strengths-based approach to teaching and learning around maths through recognising the really rich and long hi- histories and knowledges of Indigenous ways of being, knowing and doing around mathematics, but of course around, around a range of um, a whole range of other uh, curriculum areas. So do you think that's a fair thing to say, that it is that there are strengths-based approaches embedded in that approach? Um, yes, Mummy, I think it is in terms of... And- we do talk about strength-based approaches in our chapter as well because what we do is that in looking at cultural responsive pedagogies, it's looking at the strengths of the, the students in the classes, but it also looks at the strengths of where the students are coming from in their Indigenous community. And part of that is also for teachers to have an understanding of where their students are coming from and consider the social and cultural context as well. Um, but we do it from a strength-based approach and not a deficit approach and looking at the strength of where the students are coming from and part of the strength then um, leads into, in terms of teaching pedagogy, of teachers ensuring you know, high expectations of the students that are sitting in front of them 
Mm, absolutely. You're both incredibly experienced educators. I'm just wondering if there's any other additional practices that you would recommend in addressing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander education. Yeah, um, I, I'd like to leap in there, Marnie and, and Grace. Um, um, happy for you to, to leap in and we kind of co-discuss this. Yeah. So I, I want to make the point, and this bit is not actually in the chapter, but in mathematics education in 2000, there were two major in mathematics education. So traditionally mathematics, the formal mathematics has been taught in very much a didactic traditional framework where we serve up with um, textbooks, worksheets, you sit there, you be quiet and get on with it. And, and what that has meant is that the students, they leave everything, leave your culture, leave your language, leave your identity at the door. And this is what it's, in, it's subtly telling students. But you come in and you open up page 16 and I want you to do exercises once again. Or I photocopied off all these short worksheets as you walk past, I want you to take one of each bundle. And so that has had serious implications and we're seeing that being played out still and we're seeing it being played out in teacher education. But there were two major turns in the 2000s and the first one was Steve Lerman's work around the socio-cultural turn and that turn actually drew on the work of Vygotsky and a, a Russian psychologist that and I know that a number of us in education would be quite familiar with. Now, although that was primarily picked up with literacy people, it moved into mathematics education because it allowed us to understand the importance of social interaction when children are learning mathematics. So that's important, but the second term is equally important and that's the one that gets talked about in terms of multi-sensory teaching and learning. So the second term is titled gesture and embodiment. So what this means is the children are not sitting in their chairs trying to keep still for one hour of mathematics, listening to the teacher do the, the demonstration on the whiteboard, watch a bit of Khan Academy, and then do the worksheet. This gesture and embodiment is, um, and it's well written about by Edward and, and Rabuti in 2014, they're actually talking about getting these students up. When we talk, there are those of us that use our hands. We use our bodies to communicate. We don't just sit on our hands and, and push out the words through our lips. We actually get up, we move around, and we actually act out mathematics using our bodies. So Edwards and Rabuti have actually theorised this, but I know that Grace and I are really strong advocates of this particular element of mathematics teaching when we're working in communities, communities with students. And of course, I want to wrap this up by saying, since when did we say to students when they come into prep, since when did we say that you have to sit in your seat and complete a text and a worksheet? And it's that practice that we're actually continually faced with, but we are also challenging. Thanks, Ron. And I'll also add to that as well, that um, and it's in the chapter, so there's different ways of exploring it, but um, Chris Matthews, who's um, an Aboriginal academic, he first designed a, a pedagogy framework that actually looked at the reality of where the students were coming from, so we called it the RANRA framework, but there's also other names that you can use as well. But it looked at the reality of where students were coming from and the lived realities and considering the, the local, the culture, the environment, all of those things and starting from that as a point of looking at mathematics. And then, as Brown said, it, it's looking at different ways of representing mathematics. So it's, it's using your hand and your body and your mind and looking at 
how you can teach mathematics, but you're up, you're doing things. So when you look at how in in the early years when we have the you know little children doing things using their hands, minds, and body, we look at that abstraction phase throughout mathematics. But we've done it from you know early years all the way up to senior with students, and there has been you know there's shown to be a difference in the way that students are engaging in the space, whether they're indigenous or non-indigenous. So moving from reality abstraction and then into the mathematics, and then reflecting back on um, uh, with it, seems to be engaging indigenous and non-indigenous students from all walks of life because they're actually engaged and enjoying what they're doing because we start with where the students are at. So, so can I just leave in there, Grace? So what you're saying is this pedagogical approach is good pedagogy for all students. Yes. Right? So it's inclusive. But if we look at the traditional approach to teaching and learning of mathematics, it's only good for some. So it's exclusive. And that's where... Um, where you, you talked about the Rambar model. I think Chris called it the Goopy, Goopy model now, the G-O-O-M-P-I. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's where it is an inclusive approach, not an exclusive approach that acts as a social filter. Thank you, Grace and Bronwyn. Incredibly helpful um, discussion around effective teaching for maths and and the point that you make around good teaching excellent teaching benefiting all students is a really important one and it's something that we talked about in the introduction to the book we put forward that there's no one way of teaching in indigenous students it's about really solid evidence-based excellent teaching and learning strategies that support all learners and just finally i wanted to leave the podcast on a positive note around the futures of indigenous education and i'm just wondering what your vision for excellence in indigenous education is and i know we heard from you grace on a different podcast but you may uh, have a different perspective today who knows in Indigenous education. I would I would say excellence in Indigenous education is where we're not only embedding Indigenous perspectives into the curriculum, I think it's a lot bigger than that. Excellence in Indigenous education is actually looking at, we need to look further, so not only education in isolation, if we want to improve education of our, our students, is we need to actually have a look at where the students are coming from, and that means um, ensuring that there's equity for our Indigenous people in terms of their livelihoods, our communities, these things are. Um, so looking at basic human rights, basic human necessities, sort of going back further in terms of looking at their basic necessities for our um, Indigenous people. Thanks, Grace. Roman? So, I, Grace, I think you've captured it all. But, so, uh, and I've made a, a, a couple of notes here. So, for me, that excellence, it, it's it's an interesting word, but I think that the excellence really state needs to start back at teacher education. And I know that here at QUT, that is a continual unfolding process, but it is really quite significant in terms of teacher education. So the research that we do, I think it's really important that we enact that through our actual teaching here of students at QUT. And that's certainly something that I try and do when I'm working with the pre-service teachers here, so that's the undergrads and postgrad students. For the teachers who are in the field, I think that there needs to be continual training around professional learning. However, not just bringing a whole bunch of teachers together in a big hall and saying, 
what we're doing for the day and then we shall never see them again because that is costly and it doesn't work. But we need to make sure that we have got that professional learning in place so that the evidence in terms of what they've learned is enacted in classrooms, in schools or wherever. So I think that for me, it is very much, we've, we've really got to come back and to achieve that excellence, I think we've really got to come back to teacher education. Uh, there's another part here, and that is the uh, openly acknowledging the education or the educators who are out in communities. And I'm, I'm not sure whether it's more so the case that, um, you know, in regional and rural, that the um, community elders and educators are more recognised, but I think right across, I think that there needs to be that meeting on the bridge where teachers and community elders come together and um, respectfully learn from one another. But also, I come back to the point that I made earlier about recognising that the curriculum is in the community and it's been there for thousands of years. So what do we do? We we overlay the math book over the top of it and say, all right, well, we're going to cherry pick the bits in the community. Or do we start with the community and then weave the mathematics in? And I think that that's a really, um, I think that that would add not only a richness, but I think it would also contribute to that excellence. Because for me, that excellence is around these children and young people constructing an identity of a positive and successful learner that captures their culture, their history and their language. But I think we've got to start with the teacher education. Marnie, can I just add to that, Ron? Thanks for that. Because um, I just wanted to add, because it sort of jogged my memory a little bit as well. And yeah. also in terms of, like, we spoke about our curriculum learning and professional learning and undergrad teaching students. Um, and we have the ACL standards that looks at, you know, when teaching Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander students. But I think that's not enough. And, and we know that in terms of, you know, standards and what happens in our, our universities, it's policy-driven, um, government policy-driven, and then it's filtered downwards. And I think, I think there needs to be, if we're looking at excellence in Indigenous education, I think in terms of policy, that they should consider strength-based approaches in the policy work that goes on in this Indigenous space if we are going to have some improved changes in the curriculum within our institutions. And I also think some institutions are doing some great work in this space around excellence in Indigenous education, and some schools are as well. But I think sometimes in some of our institutions and schools as well, there are huge gaps where there might be some units of uh, Indigenous studies that are occurring, and in some other faculties it's not. So there's gaps in some of the work that is going on in terms of with our uh, undergrad students uh, when we look at uh, excellence in Indigenous education. A lot to think about. Thank you so much for sharing your time and knowledge with us today. Thank you, Marty. Thank you.